Gerald is currently the head of strategy at one of the biggest insurance companies in Africa. He is a fully qualified actuary who completed all his board exams by the age of 25. He holds a bachelor's degree in actuarial science and mathematical statistics and an honors degree in actuarial science from Wits University. And he recently completed a postgraduate diploma in future studies with the Stellenbosch Business School. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Young Professional African Edition with your host, Jonathan Rwanika and Sunil Mudli, equipping you with all the right tools to jumpstart your career in an African context by sharing experiences and spreading the gospel of information. With original music brought to you by Africa's own, Yunil Badiachi. I am super, super excited today uh, to welcome an individual that I've known for a decade. Uh, but uh, Gerald, probably for people that don't know you, uh, can you just tell us where you're from and uh, you know where did you grow up, just as a starter to get to know you? Uh, th- thanks, Jono, for having me on your podcast. Uh, so my name is Gerald Maveve. I grew up in Zimbabwe in a identity township called Chungwiza. So I did my basic education there. Uh, and then I went to a Catholic high school in Wedza called Mount St. Mary's. And then after that, I moved to SA. I guess by the time I moved to SA, I had already grown up. Um, so that, that's as far as my background <laughs> goes. I'm the last born in a family of five. Yeah, yeah. No, that's ex- and obviously my mother's favorite child. <laughs> yeah, you know, paint us a picture, Gerald. You know, you grew up in Zimbabwe. Uh, you know, it's probably like 2000s, uh, early 2000s. Uh, you know, how was Zimbabwe like? Um, yeah, for people that don't know Zimbabwe. So, uh, you know, looking back, uh, I actually treasure growing up in Zimbabwe. Uh, maybe because for the most part, uh, before maybe 2008, things were not as bad. Uh, you know, you had all the things that you needed. Yeah. You had friends, you had food, you could access fuel. Uh, you know, you had, you had electricity. Yeah. And also, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, right now I'm in load shedding here in South Africa, just to give you some context. So, uh, I, I think it was beautiful growing up in Zimbabwe and the one thing as well is uh, yeah. I used to have lots of family, you know, all the grandparents were alive, uh, dad was alive. So, oh, yeah, I think Zimbabwe beautiful. was beautiful. It's still a very beautiful country, I must say. It really is, you know, expensive to travel around, but uh, you know, very beautiful country. Uh, but Gerald, you know, let's let's get get into the nitty gritty now. You know, you said you grew up in Zimbabwe, you came to South Africa for your tertiary studies. Uh, what did you study, and what informed that choice of what you studied in university? And where did you go? I think that's also good. <laughs> where did you go for university? <laughs> Yeah, so I went to Witz, uh, the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg. Yeah. I studied uh, BSc in Actuarial Science and Mathematical Statistics, and then an Honours in Actuarial Science. And then after that, I went on to 
write my actuarial board exams and I, I qualified in what they call record time. I wasn't trying to chase record time. <laughs> Uh, Wait, what's record? What, what age were then, you? What age age were you when you became a fully qualified actuary? Twenty five, going on twenty six. That's ridiculous! Wow, wow. <laughs> That's. Uh, and then uh, in two thousand and twenty, I decided to study uh, postgraduate in future studies with the Stellenbosch Business School. Yeah. So. Maybe I'll explain why I studied what I studied, uh, starting with actuarial science. So, funny enough, I, I haven't told you this, Jono, but uh, okay. I, I wanted to be a CA. What? When I was young. <laughs> like, when I was young, young, I wanted to be a CA. <laughs> yeah, so, you know my sister, Lindy? You've met my sister, yes, Lindy. Yes, I have. Um, so, at the time, Lindy, Lindy was based in England. Yes. So, she's the one who told me about actuarial science. I was still quite young, though. Um, around about 13. Yeah. So she told me about actuarial science. She said it's very unique. It's challenging. Yeah. And the guys who are actuaries on Lloyd's, they make lots of money. <laughs> they live nice lives. So I was like, okay, I want to be that guy. Uh, that was, uh, I was sold basically from age 13. So I was fortunate enough uh, to know what I would want to do at university from a young age. Uh, so before I went to Form 1, I already knew yeah. that. I'm going to do actuarial science one way or the other. So even when I was applying to university programs, uh, it's, it's the only thing I would apply for. Yeah. Uh, I even got a full scholarship to study accounting. Wow. Uh, at an overseas university and I ended up turning it down. What? So That is, uh, Gerald, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Firstly, you know, we're talking about actuarial science, you know, and I also grew up in Zimbabwe and there was this, sort of this mystique around actuarial science, you know. Only the brightest minds in the country did actuarial science. I think at the time, Zimbabwe had like less than 50 in the country or probably, I don't remember, it was a small amount of actuaries. Uh, and I think in South Africa... It probably still has less than 50. <laughs> so why would you pick something like that? Why would you pick the hardest thing to study? Uh, you know, I understand you were you were like, oh, okay, it's got a lot of money, but but why would you kill yourself <laughs> like that? <laughs> Is my question. Uh, I think everyone, any anyone who wants to study actuarial science can do it. Uh, number one, I had to believe in me, so yeah. uh, I had to you know I had to place that bet on myself. So uh, funny enough, Dad said to me, why don't you just study engineering? You don't have to write board exams afterwards. And I know this, so he was friends with this lady. She was already a senior manager at Old Mutual Zim, but she had seven exams and was struggling to qualify. And it's like, you know, she could die without qualifying. (laughs) And I don't want that to happen to you. So when I qualified, I actually wished dad was there just to show him. Oh, man. You know, I actually did it and in good time to top that. Yeah. So, wow. yeah, but number one, um, I had to believe in me. Yeah. And number two, I had to put in a lot of effort. Yeah. So, but I think it's the same with anything. So whether I had gone on to study accounting or engineering, I, I don't think any of that could have came easy. I was going to have to put in the effort. Yeah. No, but listen, Gerald, you know, um, a lot of us put put effort in things and uh, you know, some of us still fail and some of us still struggle. Do you, do you think there's an element of like a natural uh, 
uh, ability, you know, maybe you have, do you have like a natural knack for things? Do you think there's, there's that element involved as well? Uh, like that's just inborn and like not trained. Yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I believe maybe the, I, I don't know, general. maybe that's the case, <laughs> but I believe it's more effort than talent. Yes, yes, yes. No, I believe that. I believe that. Because what, what, what happened is when we go to vets, you know, in the actuarial science class, you have the smartest kids across the country, across all races. Um, you know, in South Africa, basically the top person in every district, every province is in the actuarial science class. So you have the most brilliant minds in there, but just to give you context, in a first year class of maybe close to 200 people, the honors class is less than 40 people. So that just shows you that with all this brilliance, a lot of people ended up not going through. So that's why I think it's more effort than talent. And I don't think the people failed because they didn't put effort. It was just really challenging and- Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, you know, and, and some of them have gone on to do great things outside of Actuaria as well. So it's the beauty of the, the stochasticity of life, right? Yeah. So something not panning out might just be the best thing happening to you. <laughs> Are you quoting uh, uh, principles from uh, the Stoics, that book, that book you always recommend uh, to me? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, Gerald, that's, that's an that's very interesting uh just to to see you know what informed that choice and uh you know there's a, probably a lot of hard work qualifying as an actuary so yeah. young but um ca- can you just describe your career journey thus far you know studied actuarial science qualified in record time uh w- w- what did you do and um yeah what was like sort of uh, the work you were exposed to yeah, so coming out of this, my first job was at a small consulting company in Stellenbosch. It provided actuarial uh, services to insurers in the Middle East. So I did a lot of work in Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia, and Bahrain. Yeah. And it was mostly technical actuarial work, so a lot of number crunching, loss reserving, to make sure that insurers are keeping aside sufficient funds to meet their obligations yeah. to policyholders uh, and complying with uh, various legislations and a lot of technical pricing as well. So it was a fun job. I got exposed to pricing uh, health products, mortar. I even had to price aviation uh, at some point, aviation insurance. Yeah. And I got uh, exposed to you know a lot of interesting characters that I cannot discuss <laughs> on the podcast. So uh, I, I was at that job for about two years, and then I managed to get into Old Mutual. I did a very short stint in actuarial pricing again, so motor. Uh, large commercial vehicles and the likes. But then a, a pivotal moment in my career was when I moved into profitability management. So I took a leap of faith. Uh, it was a non-actuarial job where I had to apply my mind and my skills to optimizing the income statement. Uh, 
so basically you want to make sure that we hit a certain profit number and the ROE and you uh, you have mandate across all the levers in the in the business from sales expenses claims drilling down to you know frequencies severity the price of parts so it gave me a very good opportunity to understand the business uh, at a level of detail that no one else um, did because I got the breadth and the depth uh which was very cool and also i got exposed to people across the board uh i would go visit brokers in their offices i would go to you know uh, with our distribution people i would go sit with the claims teams so i think that was a very pivotal moment for me in my in my career and then around 2019 I was seconded to the office of the CEO as a strategy analyst, which was also one probably one of the best things to happen to me in my career. Um, so in that job, we so I was a we were a team of three. We had to come up with the organizational strategy that also exposed me to now a lot of the very senior leadership in the company because I had to collaborate with the with the senior leaders the executive the board uh you know learning how to bring people on a journey and also starting to think outwards so you know sometimes when you're in an organization you're just thinking about what's going on in the you know in that particular organization but your organization exists in a much bigger context it exists in the context of the industry it exists in the context of the country it exists in the context of the globe. So starting to think that way and, you know, bringing in all those things into, into the organizational strategy, that was really cool. And then uh, the other two guys I was seconded with, they, they went back into business. I stayed in the office of the CEO for a little bit, which was also very cool because, uh, it was a it was a very nice time for me, cause what what happened is uh, he he didn't want an executive assistant, so probably one of the best people I've worked with, um, I've worked for rather. So he told me, look, I could make you an executive assistant, and you can do my spreadsheets and walk in meetings with me, but. I'm gonna give you a lot of responsibility. You're, so I had no job description, but what he what he did is he gave me all his big projects, so very big projects, uh, you know, like with uh, budgets in the hundreds of millions, and I had to care to to caretake all those things for him. Obviously, with a lot of his guidance, uh, and you know, he would open the doors if I need to collaborate with someone. He would like my boss would help me. So that was a very fun year in my career because I also didn't have a team. And you know, if you're working for the CEO, you also don't just get to spend the day with him because uh, it's a very busy individual, right? So it it it, it is rather lonely, but uh, you know, it was it was very nice. It was very nice, and I learned a lot, uh, especially coming out of crafting a strategy. Uh, I spent most of that year 
leading into execution. So just learning how to, you know, doing things like uh, business casing, building IT, BRSs, uh, you know, handing over these projects to business, uh, tracking execution, collaborating stakeholders across the business. So you end up in a situation where at the time I wasn't even uh, ahead of anything, right? So I was just this kid, but then you have the ability to manage upwards people, you know, who are very senior and very experienced. And it took a certain level of skill because you're not managing with authority. You have to take people on the journey with you. If you want anything done, you need to find a way to convince people you know you can't you can't use any any card and also yeah in that job you you can't use even the ceo's name you need to be your own person yeah. if someone is refusing to cooperate with you you need to figure it out you can't just ra run back to the to the headmaster yeah yeah and those are the type of skills that you yeah. you never really learn at university uh, do you these are on the job learned skills and uh, competencies yeah definitely definitely uh I, I don't think they taught us that at school uh especially execution so i i don't think schools teach enough execution uh and it's probably the most difficult thing in business and in leadership execution uh so basically that leads me to my next job uh i then got promoted to head of strategy uh sometime early last year and the funny thing is, I suppose there was some change in scope, but the nature of the work was, the themes of work were largely the same. But so as head of strategy, my main role is to, to ensure the effective execution of our organizational strategy. And in addition to that, we need to make sure that our strategy is still in touch with the trends happening, you know, in the country, in the world, in the industry. And also a very cool part of my job is implementing things like uh, process automations, AI, uh, and running those kind of projects, which has also given me a very different lens because I didn't have a very big exposure to IT type of projects before. Yeah. So yeah, I quite like that part of my job. Um, okay. What else is fun about my job? <laughs> I'm trying to think. Yeah, but then oh, yeah, one thing I need to tell you, Jono, yeah. it's very stakeholder dependent. So we're a very small team. Yeah. We're a team of, uh, oh yeah, and then I do a bit of M&A work as well. So you know, during acquisitions, we need to make sure that we're paying the right price, uh, the strategic synergies, uh, you know, to, to explain the rationale of the deals and even post deal stage, trying to find the most effective way for both companies to extract value. So I, I quite like that part of my job as well. And then, yeah, but uh, what, what I was gonna say is, it is quite a small team and, the job is basically collaboration and stakeholder management. Yeah. So, you know, head of strategy, you know, it's a very, you know, 
it seems like it has multiple facets to it, you know. If I may ask the question, what is it about, you know, because I've seen this in a lot of my uh, uh, peers and networks, people who have studied actuarial science that have gone on into investment banking, they've gone on into consulting, they've got on, gone on to very diverse things to what they actually studied. Is, is there something in the actual program that you study that allows you that sort of multifaceted um, characteristics that allow you to succeed in, in most uh, places. Um, yeah, what is it about actuarial science that allows you guys to do that? Uh, it depends, Jonah. So I think if you take away the individuals and you look at proportions, you will find that maybe 95% plus of the actuaries or people with an actuarial background still work within traditional actuarial fields. Uh, the reason being, it's very specialized. And um, I think I have to say this in case, you know, there are some people who might want to study actuarial, but they want to work across the board then uh, I'll explain to you my thought process. So actuarial science is very specialized and you do a specific type of work in specific industries, right? But with that said, if it is combined with a certain personality, so you get a lot of analytical rigor, right? You, you, know, you can look at numbers, uh, you can look at a situation, and you can put the dots together quickly as well. So I think that's one of my biggest abilities as a person. I can connect the dots easily and I can put two and two together very quickly as well. So you've got the analytical capability, critical thinking. Uh, you know, if you're given a set of information, you actually need to first test it. Is it true? Is it accurate? Is it enough to make this decision? But you need to do that quickly and it becomes very innate in you, uh, that ability. So I think the individuals who have managed to move away from traditional actuarial, they have managed to leverage that unique skill, right? Um, with uh, other traits. So other traits like being able to communicate, uh, a lot of actuaries, that's a, for a lot of actuaries, that's not a strength uh, for them, right? Uh, being able to communicate, uh, being able to lead as well. And uh, I suppose it's the whole concept of T-shaped skills, journal, where the guys with breadth and depth then thrive in consulting, uh, in strategy roles and uh, and you know yeah. th th those kind of jobs. Yeah, so that makes that makes a lot of sense actually. That's very interesting. And um, Gerald, if if there were you know lessons, I don't know if we can you know summarize your entire career into a few lessons. But are there some lessons you have learned from corporate that you you think would be uh, important for you know young students and young professionals to know? Oh yeah, um, I think for me the biggest learning, the the biggest lesson, Jono, is everyone has a role to play uh, in an organization. So if you come in, especially, I suppose my advice is mainly uh, 
uh, towards the specialists because you come into the company, uh, you know, the accountants tend to move with the accountants only. Yeah. The actuaries, they eat lunch with the actuaries only. So, you know, the IT guys. So the, the, the specialists tend to stay in a cocoon. And I was very fortunate enough and probably a big part of my success in corporate has been from appreciating that everyone has a role to play and I can learn from everyone. So during the profitability job, that's when I, you know, you started going to lunch with people from distribution. Uh, some of them, these are guys who probably don't even have tertiary education, but they just understand the industry yeah. very well. They can tell you whatever you want to know about, about industry, you know. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, also, which other people did I learn a lot from? Uh, I think you said uh, uh, distribution, brokers. Yeah, so there was... Yes. So the brokers, uh, marketing, uh, you know, product development, underwriting, claims. I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time with people across the board. And number one, uh, besides understanding the operations, it also helped me to actually understand how different people uh make decisions how to lead different teams so for example interacting with someone who runs a call center their style of leadership and the things they have to think about is very different from managing a team of three four actuaries or other other professionals so i think my biggest advice to young people is as much as you can study something specialized uh, even if you want to practice in that area, you you have a better chance at creating better solutions if you make relationships across the board and try and learn from people outside your domain. It also helps your problem solving. Uh, it's not linked to just how actuaries approach problems. You start to look at things quite differently. You know, if you look at uh, the guys who are in systems and product development, those guys can spend the whole day crafting things on four whiteboards. It's just so amazing watching them draw all those pictures. And it's something that I, I hadn't done before, you know? Uh, yeah, so that, that that's number one. And number two, obviously, you need to keep bettering yourself. Uh, I'm a firm believer in higher education, so I actually pursued a postgrad in future studies from Stellenbosch uh, when I when I started the strategy job. So the reason why I did that was number one, the concept of T-shaped skills. So you know, in actuarial and in accounting, there's one answer, there's one correct answer, but in life, there's no one correct answer. So I think to me that was a beautiful thing to uncover uh, when I got to Stellenbosch Business School and I had to study philosophy and you need to do moral debates on you know, certain very controversial topics and you realize that in life there's no one right way of doing things. And also it helped me understand that the... There are like 
everyone is different and unique in their own way. So everyone is different and has a has a different purpose in life. Uh, you know, it's a concept that they call cultural relativism. Uh, I think coming out of Zim and studying a very specific domain, I needed sort of panel beating to become a bit more open-minded. And then the best thing from future studies as well was uh, long-term thinking. So to think in the context of change, because a lot of the times we are very stuck on what we're doing now, but we, we forget that in a, in a sense, it's almost as if we're on a treadmill or, you know, because the world around you is changing, but you're busy with what you're doing now. Uh, you always need to think in the context of change, especially as a leader. So that, uh, that was a very important course for me. I quite liked it. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the lesson as well is just uh, keep developing yourself. There's a lot of open source education these days. You don't even need to go to a brick and mortar school. I was just fortunate enough that the company paid for it, you know, but keep working on yourself, keep giving yeah. yourself new skills. Uh, you know, you, you never, you're never too old to, to stop learning. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, that's brilliant. That's brilliant, Gerald. And maybe in a, as a final question from me, um, you know, maybe for the students that are listening, um, if we could give you a time machine, hypothetically, uh, to travel back to, to chat with Gerald on your first day at school uh, at WITS, what tips would you give yourself uh, to be successful? Yeah, so uh, I had a very great time uh, at WITS. So I might not be the best person to give this kind of advice, but uh, I'll do my best, Jonah. So... I think my approach to life in general is consistency. Don't leave things for the last minute. So it's something students tend to do. And in actuarial science, that tends to, to not work. So try and do things in good time. Um, you know, do as much as you can before the exam. So I, I had a very bad practice. I'll tell you that I didn't study the weekend of the exam because I, I used to push myself so much to make sure that <laughs> if I'm writing on Monday, by Friday, I need to be in a space where I'm not trying to memorize anything. So maybe I don't have a very good short-term memory or I never like tried to train my short-term memory. So I, I was very bad at courses that, uh, that require you to memorize things and just duplicate, you know, replicate. So I'm... I'm yeah, so I'm not very good at uh, doing that. So perhaps I had to work in a certain manner. So you need to do everything in good time. Don't leave things for the last minute. Also, just work consistently. If you make it a habit, it doesn't feel like work. You, you knew me during varsity, John. I had so much fun, but I had also you the right habits, right? So... I used to, so just to give you context, yeah. when I was in honors, every single day, uh, I studied a crazy amount of hours. I, I studied six hours a day without fail. Uh, you know, yeah. so that just yeah. gave me the ability to, or, or maybe the freedom to also play when I wanted to. But I, I always had my work done in very good time. 
and I left nothing to chance. So in yeah. courses where I didn't do well, I just didn't do well because, you know, maybe things just didn't go my way, but I would never regret uh, that I didn't put enough effort. So yeah, I'm big on putting in yeah. the effort. So leave nothing to chance and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, just make sure that you put in the effort consistently. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why you call that a bad practice because that's the perfect practice, right? Because what you just described is a person that spent time and deeply understanding principle rather than, you know, just cramming uh, information. And that means you're always better placed uh, in an exam situation for exams that are complicated and complex that require uh, that high level skill set. Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, Gerald, as a, as a, as a last question, uh, what, what, what would you encourage people right now to study in university? Yeah. So my, my answer to this question is rather controversial, general. Um, but I think it, it depends on individual, um, circumstances, especially socioeconomic circumstances. Right. So to give you context, uh, I wouldn't say study whatever you like, right? Because there's certain career paths where <laughs> it will take you a very long time to make money either as an entrepreneur or to, to find gainful employment. So it really depends on individual circumstances. I think if you have, if you're coming from a certain background where, you know, you don't have to take care of people, um, or you, you don't yeah. need to pay your own you know, accommodation and take care of yourself, then I think you have the privilege to study what you like, right? But if yeah. you are trying to change your circumstances, so it brings us to the concept of social mobility. Uh, so if you're trying to change your social economic st status, there are you know, certain things that just give you better odds, like actuarial science. Uh, and I'm joking, Jono. Actuaries are struggling. <laughs> Where are they struggling, actuaries? Where? <laughs> Times are hard. Um, but my, my, my point is, uh, I'll probably just say STEM degrees, Jono. So, yeah, definitely. Um, funny enough, uh, you know, if I had uh, a younger brother, I'll probably not encourage him to, or her, or sister, to study actuarial science, but I'll probably encourage them to go more the STEM route, uh, probably uh, an applied engineering degree, like uh, electrical engineering or computer science, especially given where the yeah. world is going, something very technical, uh, so where the world is going yeah. in the, you know, in the, in the age of, uh, AI machine learning. So, you know, you, you can yeah. do a lot of really fun work as well in those spaces. And what I like about, uh, computer science and stuff, uh, and, uh, AI type of work is it's applicable across multiple industries. So it doesn't have the yeah. box that, uh, actuarial science and some of the specialized, uh, courses uh, put you in, which is really cool. I, I think it will be, a, you know, someone who works across different industries 
uh, doesn't get bored, then they probably have a very fulfilling career. I mean, I, I could imagine if someone was a machine learning engineer in financial services and they move into, you know, FMCG or, yeah, you know, energy, for example. So, yeah, yeah. but I, I do think long and short, it depends on your individual circumstances. Uh, if the circumstances are allowed, yeah. then people should study what they are passionate about. Uh, and that is also okay because it's actually a higher state, right? Where you enjoy your craft. So you get a lot of fulfillment, but if you're trying to change your socioeconomic circumstances, uh, I would say you need a STEM degree. Yeah. Yeah. No, brilliant. Brilliant, Gerald. A lot of key nuggets uh, throughout this interview. Uh, thanks so much for your time uh, and uh, yeah, and sharing your story and experience. Thank you so much, Jonah. This was quite fun. Uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Young Professional African Edition. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Music, Spotify, or whatever platform that you use to listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a like and a follow. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at YP underscore Africa. That's YP underscore Africa. And if you've missed an episode, don't stress. You can catch up on our YouTube channel, YP underscore Africa. Like and subscribe, guys. Like and subscribe. That's it from us, guys. See you next week.